getting to know these these young people again and and I, I've been you know I, I visit as least as I can. No, I, I'm just kidding. I I go to, I go to the youth group and you know at least once every you know once a month, once every six weeks. I've gotten to know some of these, and they've just got they're great people in the youth, and these kids are learning to serve the Lord. And and um, what what Lexi said was powerful. When she came here, she didn't think it was a church. She thought it was a family. It helps that our church looks like a house. <laughs> that, that doesn't hurt. Like, anyways, but turn with me to John chapter 6 this morning. And as you do that, if you have a cell phone, you can turn that off too. I was in church in Oakdale one morning, and my brother Gary sent me a talking text, and it came on and started talking all on its own in the middle of service. That was very nice. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for what you are doing in our midst this morning. Lord, thank you for what you did in the hearts of these young people who went to ATF, we pray that that fire will continue to burn. We pray for ourselves that you would help us to come alongside and surround these young people and and love them and uh, help them to know that they have adults that are in their corner. Um, God, help us to more and more become family. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In the book of John, chapter 6, we come across Jesus doing what's often happening. He's addressing different groups of people at the same time. And this comes after a couple of his miracles, the wedding at Cana and Gala, uh, um, and Cana, the Samaritan woman. In chapter 5, we find the man who was healed of his disease of 38 years. He couldn't walk. And Jesus heals him, and it was a Sabbath. And immediately after this, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law begin to accuse Jesus. They didn't care about the miracle. They wanted to know why he healed on the Sabbath. And and so we're coming right out of that time as we're going into chapter 6. And this morning, we're going to actually fly over the entire chapter. And it's kind of a long chapter, uh, 71 verses. And we're going to look at the different types of people that are in the book of John, chapter 6. And I found nine different people. So we're going to call them like personalities, different types, different places that, that people can be at. And so in the beginning here, it said, we won't read the whole thing, but I'll read a few parts here and there and then talk about. It says, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. So already, as we're, we're talking about the different people we're going to run into in John chapter 6, the very first group of people were those who followed him because, the Bible says, they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. The first group is around, they're just seeing him do miracles, so they're following him. Wait a second, he's got some power, we're going to check him out, we're going to watch they, they're not his disciples, but they're very curious because he's, they saw Jesus healing people. 
And so, so they're just kind of on the outskirts there. And so, but what a great way to grab, grab a crowd. And that's what sometimes using Jesus did. He would do a miracle. And then people would take notice and then he would preach and he would share. Now, Jesus is amazing because he says to all of us, come unto me, all ye that labor, every one of you, everyone who's weary, come to me and I'll give you rest. And that's his cry this morning to each and every one of us. No matter who you are, no matter where you're out, Jesus is saying, come to me. I'm going to give you rest. But what's interesting as we go close to Jesus, as we grow one step closer to Jesus, Jesus begins to correct us. He begins to challenge us. And at times, as we're going to find here in chapter 6, he makes it real plain that you don't get to, you get to come however you are. But in order to keep coming, you have to understand who he is. You don't get to make the rules. God makes the rules. Jesus, it, by the end of chapter 6, he lays it down very clear what it means to be a true disciple. So the call says, come to me. But along the way, we're going to challenge you. I'm going to challenge you. So this first group of, of people is this one. Now, we, we read on a little bit long, just, just a f- little bit further here. And it says, uh, he went up onto the mountain. Now, the Passover feast of the Jews was near, and Jesus lifted his eyes, seeing a great multitude coming toward him. He said to Philip, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? And this he said to test him. So Philip said, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may have a little. So the second person right in the story, or the second type of person, is Philip. Now Philip, he's been following Jesus. He's a disciple. So he knows Jesus. He's been there for some of the miracles. So he's on board with this whole thing. And Jesus comes to him and says, hey, there's a whole bunch of people. Where are we going to buy bread for them? And Philip says, even with a, a whole bunch of money, we couldn't feed all of these people. See, Philip is thinking natural. He, he was there at the wedding when Jesus changed water into wine. And he's seen some of the miracles. He was there when the paralytic at the pool got healed. And Jesus said, what are we going to do about bread? And Philip, even though he's seen these things, goes back to that natural understanding. We don't have enough money to feed all these people. See, there's those... Even in this room, there's those who follow Jesus, who who follow Jesus, who are looking to him, but they still haven't crossed over to that who Jesus is and the understanding that Jesus is the God of miracles, that Jesus can do something incredible. And they're leaning still on their own understanding and their own experiences of who Jesus is. And so that's the second type of person we come in contact with in the book of John chapter 6 is this Philip. Now, just past there, we find our next, our next person here, our next type of person. And we find him in the, in the person of Andrew. So Philip answered, 200 denarii worth of bread isn't sufficient for them. So one of his disciples, Andrew, who was Simon Peter's brother. Now, it's interesting. Andrew was the very first disciple that Jesus called. So he's been there since the beginning. He saw the miracles. He's been, he's been there. In fact, he was the one who, who went and found his brother. You've got to come. You've got to come. And, but we're now getting to know him as Simon Peter's brother because during the course of the, his ministry, of the course of Peter's life, Peter definitely rises up to be more prominent of a figure than Andrew does. But Andrew is that disciple who was who from the beginning, and he saw Jesus. Now listen to what Andrew says. He says, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? So... 
Andrew followed Jesus and he was at the wedding. The Bible says in, in John chapter, uh, chapter three or chapter four, the wedding in Cana, he was there when the servants came and said, we have no wine. And Mary, Jesus' mother said, just do whatever Jesus said. And he watched Jesus turn water into wine. He saw the healings. So Andrew's, he, I don't think he's fully sure what Jesus is going to do. Because first he says, you know, hey, there's this guy with five barley loaves and two fish. And you really, that's ridiculous. 5,000 men. And, and, and Andrew comes up and says, well, we got a couple of fish and some barley loaves. <laughs> you know, that would kind of like this morning going, uh, hey, Pastor Rob, we're going to feed everyone after church. And I said, uh, we got a donut hole. <laughs> it's, just, it's not enough. I mean, you wouldn't come to me and say, hey, you know, I know we're going to do this lunch afterward and I don't see any food around and there's a donut hole left from snack this morning because you'd be an idiot. <laughs> Can you say that in church? I'm mean, that's just silly. But, but there's something in Andrew that says Jesus might do something with this. He's got some faith. He's got the faith maybe just as a mustard seed. But we know with faith like a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. So Andrew's stepping outside of what seems realistic and possible, plausible. And he says, well, Jesus, we've got this, but I don't know if it's going to be, I don't know. So he's being real, but he's acting in faith. That's a great, great place to be in. You know, God, I know you can do something. And here it is. Andrew, the follower of Jesus, the first disciple, he's still growing in his faith and his understanding of who Jesus really is. He's got an openness. He's got an openness that maybe just that mustard seed faith is going to be enough. And it's ridiculous in the natural. So we had Philip, who's all in the natural. We don't have enough money to do this. And Andrew says, I've seen Jesus. He can do something with nothing. So we, we read a little bit further. So we've got a few of these people. We've got those that are just following him. Those that are just looking because they saw him perform miracles. Then we've got Philip, who's a, a disciple, and, and he's following him, but he's, he's, real, he's still in his natural mind. Then we've got Andrew, and the faith is growing. Then a little bit past there, we find the next group of people. Um, as, as Jesus is having a conversation with them, skip down with me um, to verse 12. So when they were filled, after they had already eaten, he said to disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. And here's a little side note. When Jesus does a miracle, don't miss any part of it. Gather up every part. Pay attention to anything God is doing. It's don't just keep your eye on the miracle. Pay attention to the scraps. Pay attention to everything going on because you don't want to miss something that Jesus did in just looking at the big miracle. Often the big miracle is only part of it and there's something going on around side. Pick up every one of the scraps. Make sure nothing is lost. And so they gather them up and they filled 12 baskets with the fragments. Verse 14, it says, Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. So we've got a group of people. He says, Okay, these are Jews. They've been waiting for the prophet. They expected a prophet in the line of Moses to come into the world. And now Jesus is doing miracles. And they said, This is the guy. 
Now, we don't know much about them yet until we read the next verse, what they're really hoping or thinking or desiring to see accomplished. But read verse 15. Therefore, when Jesus perceived that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, he departed again to the mountain by himself alone. So this is their, this is their agenda. They're not just going, way, yeah, the Messiah's here, the prophet's here. They're going, he's him and we're going to take him by force and make him be our king. This sounds like some people I've run into. God, you're going to do this for me. Take him by force. Make him be what you want him to be. See, see the, the place they're in right now, they're in, it's under Roman rule. Pastor Jeff was talking about this morning. Tiberius was, was in power at this time. And they're under Roman rule and the Caesars are gods. And so they've got this conflict and it's, it's no good. And we know that in just a few years after this, it's going to get really, really bad. And the Jews are tired of living under the Roman rule. And even their own people, we find, are have become tax collectors for it. It's just a bad situation. And so they're going, we need to shake off Rome. And they were waiting for the king to come. And when they saw that it was going to be, they said, we're going to take him. We're going to put him into place. If we have the person sitting on the throne of David, all, all the Jews might unite and we might be able to take back the country. So they were going to take him by force. Why? Because they needed to get done what they needed to get done for themselves. It wasn't about God. It wasn't about Jesus. It was, we need to get rid of Rome. The only way to do that is you and we'll use you to make it happen different type of person that's there gathered here read a little bit further now so what happens after here jesus goes off to be by himself evening comes he's still on the mountain the disciples go across the sea this is the sea of galilee and and it's it's big enough that it can bring up its own storms and so they're out it's dark they're sailing across and jesus was left on land, and so in the middle of the night, he comes walking out across. And in the English translation, it's about three or four miles that they're out at sea. And all of a sudden, verse twenty or verse nineteen. So when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea, drawing near the boat. They were afraid. That's an understatement. <laughs> they're out in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. It's tough times, and here comes somebody walking on the water. They were afraid. And so Jesus said, it is I do not be afraid. It's not going to help me. I'm still afraid. I mean, it's just something about that. And so look at verse 21. They willingly received him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. See, this is a group that's willing to receive Jesus. You know, it's his disciples, yes, but they were willing to receive him. What an openness. They were scared. I don't care if he says, it's me. I'm like, that's fine. Stay out of the boat because you're freaking me out. That's real. That's, I mean, that's real, you know, and, but they willingly received Jesus. Now, now, now check this out. It says immediately the boat was at the land where they were going. You know, and, and I read that and I reread that and I went, that's salvation. 
That's salvation. When you willingly receive Jesus into your life, immediately you are in the place that you need to go. And that's heaven. When you willingly receive Christ, you don't wait until you die to get there. See, our physical body hasn't died yet, but the Bible makes it really clear that when you're saved, you're saved. And so you, you, you immediately change from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of God. And so when you willingly receive Jesus, immediately you're where you need to be. And that's a great group of people willing to receive Jesus. Now, there's a few more, more people in here. And, and by the time we're done, I think you're going to identify with one, two, three, four of them at different times of your life. And, and that's the purpose of this morning is, who am I? Where am I? Where, do, where does God want me to be? But we, we look a little further and, and Jesus, you know, he gets to the other side and, and other people start arriving because they're following Jesus. They're following because they know he does miracles. And we're going to fo- find out one of the reasons they're following him in a second. It's kind of interesting. But they're following him. And so they start arriving in the boats and Jesus is already there. And they're like, wait a second. We were at the other side last night. We saw you up there. We saw the boat leave. And now you're over here. This is kind of freaky. And, and so when you read 22 through 25, it's actually kind of a little confusing. There's a little discourse in there. We're not going to read it all, but, but we're just kind of explaining that they were like, huh? How come you're here? So verse 25 says, then they found him on the other side of the sea. And they said to him, Rabbi, teacher, when did you come here? And, you know, they're, they're amazed at this point. And Jesus, so he starts doing what he does best, confusing the people. Talks and he says these things and he starts drawing out the conversation, looking, looking, for, looking to get at the heart. And he says, you know, I say to you, you know, that's what he said. You know, most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. And you go, what does that mean? I mean, that was a sign itself. And are they just there for the food? The word here in the Greek is a word that it's, it's a cortazzo, right? It's kind of an Italian accent, but cortazzo. And it, and it means to be filled to abundance. It's not just like you had some food and you liked it. It's, it, it was a term that wasn't even used for, for eating food. It was originally used to like filling things in abundance and crops. And they started using it as a slam basically on people who wanted so much for themselves, kind of gluttonous. And so Jesus said, you didn't follow me because of the signs, but you ate till you're filled because you're gluttonous, because you want so much for yourselves. And he says, don't labor for food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set a seal on you. And they, in verse 28 here, this is, this is the group of people now. What they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? These guys are workers. They don't understand grace. They're workers. They want to work their way to God. They want to figure it. Tell me what I need to do so that I can earn my way. And I, and I love it. Jesus replies. He says, okay, you want to work? Here's a job. Here's some work for you to do. Believe. Just believe. 
That's not the answer they were expecting. They, they Give me something to do. There's a lot of guys that we're like that. Tell me what to do. Give me something to do. And Jesus cuts through all that. And he says, listen, you got to believe. And that's hard. If you're this type of person, it, 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 it meddles with you because you can't just believe. You've got to do something. You've got to earn it or it's not yours. You've got to earn it or it's really not true. You've grown up that way. Things have happened. And Jesus says, here's what you do believe. Hey, you know, we understand the work principle, but if you want us to trust you, you're going to have to give us something to trust in. So show us a sign, they say. Okay, you say we have to believe you. Well, now you're up in the ante because if we're going to put our faith in you, we've got to see a sign. Show me the money. And so then Jesus goes in and he starts taking them back. And he says, talks about, you know, they said our fathers ate the man in the desert. And Jesus said, Moses didn't give you manna. My father gives you the true bread from heaven. The bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. And he starts declaring to them, I'm greater than Moses. I'm greater than the manna. The manna was nothing. That was pointing to me. All those things in the desert was pointing to me. I'm the one who comes down from heaven. I am the bread. I'm the only one who's going to give you life. You can't work for it. You can't earn it. You can't do anything. It's me. And he goes on and he's, and he's challenging them. He's challenging them. Continues on helping them to see. And that's a hard thing. We have to break through. For some of us, we've got our preconceived ideas and notions. And God's got to break through to get a hold of us. So we can stop living the way we're living and understand what God is asking us to be. We go down a little bit further into verse 41 and we find another group. And the Jews complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. I mean, you you, you don't say that. I mean, you're you're making yourself equal with God. You, you, You know, we're Jews. We have one God. You're not him. So so they think they know God. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answers and says, don't murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father sent him draws me. He goes into this discourse. You know what they're saying? I know God. I come from a religious family. And I know what's up. And you're not it. And the things you're telling me, that's not it. I'm religious. My fathers were religious. My grandparents were religious. See, they have an idea of their understanding of who God is. And Jesus is coming to break that understanding. And they're not receiving it. And that's for some of us. We sit and we have our understanding of who we think God is. And people come and Jesus, the word even comes, the Bible itself comes and says something. And we go, that just doesn't make sense because I know God. I was raised in the church. And we can't receive who Jesus really is for our own understanding and our own misconceptions of religion. What we think religion is, what we think God is. 
And thank God Jesus begins to just break these things down. And he, he's beginning to pick it up now a little bit. As we come towards the end or towards the end of this chapter, he starts getting heavy. He starts talking about, you have to eat my body and drink my blood. And as Christians, as people, even if you're in the room and maybe wouldn't consider you a Christian, you probably know about communion and understanding a little bit about, yeah, there's a wine cup and, and the, the, the Eucharist or the, the bread. And, and I, I understand some of those things. And we, we understand it was, you know, bread and wine and he was, it was figurative. This was such a heavy teaching in the time that some, he, Jesus and the disciples were accused of cannibalism. In the time of Rome, they were accused. So becoming a Christian could be dangerous because on top of all the other things, there were those who said, well, you're cannibals because you're eating flesh and drinking blood. And this is where this comes from. Jesus is is coming across, but he's raising it up saying, listen, this is serious. Listen to me. And what he's talking about is all in. I'm the sacrificial lamb. I'm the one who's going to shed my blood for you. And you're going to have to fully partake of something that's really difficult for you to understand. Really difficult. It's by faith. And you have to take that step. The next group that we find is after Jesus is talking about this blood, body thing. And and they're confused. Go with me towards the end over to, to verse 60. You know, he had said, you know, most assuredly, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in me. And they're like, ah. And so therefore, many of his disciples, verse 60, many of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? Yeah, that's a hard saying, all right. And I don't understand it. When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? Have you ever been offended by what Jesus says? Jesus says some pretty harsh things. Yeah, he says, come unto me, all ye that labor. But he also in the end will say, depart from me, for I never knew you. And he lays out the truth. I am the way, the truth life no one enters into heaven except through me and so here he goes he's saying does this offend you what then if you should see the son of man ascend where he was before it is the spirit who gives life the the flesh profits nothing the words that i speak to you are spirit and they are life but there are some of you who do not believe now he called him his these were his disciples which meant a follower of a teacher and and we can't get confused with the the disciples and the disciples. You know, he had the disciples, those 12 that we became the apostles. But he had a lot of people that were considered his disciples because they were following him. They were watching him. They 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 followed wherever he went. There was a, a large number of them. And to have disciples was was common in that era. Uh, rabbis would have disciples to follow them and and that would be something very prominent and wonderful if you were a, a jewish parent and and you're a, a rabbi would come and actually look for prize students and they would and they would bring them and they'd follow them 
and they would follow him wherever they go. So it was a neat thing if a rabbi came to you and said, follow me, be my, be my disciple. It was very, it was honoring. And so this is not uncommon. This is something that other people had. So Jesus had this group of people that were following him. And so now the, the rubber's meeting the road here. Okay, and he says, have you been offended? And Jesus knew from the beginning who, were, who would not believe. And he said, therefore, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it's been granted in my father. And verse 66 says, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. The eighth, different, the eighth group of people are those that are disciples, those that are followers of the teachings of Jesus. Those that have, have been around the church. In this sense, they've been around Jesus. They've been watching him. But it's gotten too heavy. And they said, no. I, I've been around and I just, I just can't go on with this teaching. I can't go on in this anymore. This is too hard for me. And that's a scary group to be in. I think the church at large is full of people in this category. A lot of they, they've, they've, been, they've listened to the teaching. They like so far what they've heard. But the time's coming. And I, and I believe in this nation. As, as life is getting harder and the economy and things, it's going to get harder. And the rubber's going to meet the road more. And it's going to be a time where y- you're going to have to make your elections more sure. And there'll be some who say, you know, I just, I, I like the social church. I like the teachings of Jesus. I like to get together and sing songs and do the things that we do at church. And, you know, there's, there's must be value in that. Did you know that the, the first official atheist church was started recently? That's an oxymoron to be sure. But the first official atheist church... And it's got uh, a lot of hundreds and hundreds of people, and it could grow into a mega church. I, I just, it's, it's kind of funny because by doing this, they're creating, they're officially now creating their own religion, which means every time a group stands up and denies, doesn't partake in God, means that they're siding with them, which means that they're breaking religious freedoms. Anyways. But why do they do that? Why are people gathering together and having church? Because there's value in it. You know, it's fun. It's great to get together and have a place, a central place. Sometimes you've got to go where everyone knows your name. <laughs> there's something neat about going to church. And that's what these people were. They, they, were, they liked the teaching. They, they might have been moral. But Jesus was saying, okay, here comes the next level. This is not just a fun moral teaching. I'm not one of many rabbis. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And, and, and it's my way or the highway. I mean, this is what Jesus says. He's not one of many. And he says, and I'm going to make it clear what it means to be a follower of mine. And so it says, from that moment on, many of the disciples began to leave. And I think they trickled off. I think some left right then, but I, th- I think the way it's written, I think that they just kept watching him and kind of went, I'm out of here. And so keep reading with me, though. Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? So now he's focusing in back to that group that willingly received him in the boat. 
And now he's, they've heard again. They've seen the miracles like the other people. They willingly received him. Jesus raised the ante. You have to eat my flesh, drink my blood. This is serious stuff we're talking about. Because when you follow me, it's your whole life is in. And so he says, what about you guys? And Simon Peter, good old Simon, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I don't know his, I, I, I wish I knew his tone. When we get to heaven, I'll find out because you can read that a couple ways. One way is, you know, to whom should we go? There's no one out there. Another way to read that is, to whom should we go? Is, is there another option? But he comes back to the answer. There's that thing in us that sometimes goes, hey, if there was another way, you know, I might take it. But he focused back on Jesus and said, only you have the words of eternal life. You know, there's a lot of people out there teaching me good things and helping me to become a better person. But only you, Jesus, have the words of eternal life. And also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ. You're not just a good teacher. You're not just telling us how to get to heaven. You're God. You are God. Where else would we go? We believe not just that you're this great pointer. A prophet is a pointer. They point to God. They declare the things of God. They say, you're not just a good pointer. You're God himself. And I can go nowhere else. And so no matter what you tell me, Jesus, I'm going to follow you. Because outside of you is death. In you only is life. So who are you? Who am I? That's the point of this. As we read the scriptures, we find ourselves throughout the Bible. When you read it, you find looking at yourself and different people in different situations. You know, I think Phillips turned into Andrews. And Andrews turned into Simon Peter's. If you keep pressing in. So, you know, I'm not going anywhere. I'm, I'm going to stick here. And, it, and if you're anywhere on the path of willing to receive him, you're, you might be just following him for the miracles now, but stick around and get to know him. Become a Philip. Then become an Andrew. Don't back out. Even as the, the banner says behind me, one step closer to Jesus. You know, thank God that he doesn't expect us to be perfect when we get saved. He draws us. He deals with us. He loves us. He has grace with us. And the very first step, the very first step is, okay, I'm willing to, I'm willing to check this out a little bit. I'm going to see. And you're here this morning. You're here. Would you be willing to receive him into your boat? Because he's making a presentation to you this morning. Maybe you have 
asked him into your boat before and kicked him out. He's walking in the water right today. And he says, are you willing to receive me into the boat? Because if you do, you're going to get where you need to go. Wherever you're at is the day to say, Lord, I need you in my life. No one else has the words of life. Let's close our eyes. the Lord been touching your heart and dealing with you this morning? Do you know that you've carried a load for too long? And you know that you need the answer. You need the one who has the words of eternal life. If, if you're the one who's willing to have Jesus get into your boat for the first time this morning, while everyone's eyes are, are closed, just as a sign to God and as that step of, I'm going to step out, just raise your hand quickly and say, come into my boat, Jesus, come into my life. Thank you. You don't have to have the answers. Anyone else? What's great when you get Jesus into your boat, he begins to teach you and show you the answers. Thank you. You can put your hands down. There's someone who would say, you know, I really did know Jesus, but I've walked away and I've, using this analogy, I, I threw him out of my boat a while back. But I need him back in. If that's you, would you raise your hand? I want to pray with those who've raised their hand. There's nothing magical about a prayer, but something amazing happens when it's prayed from that heart that says, there's nowhere else to go. You are the Christ. The Bible says that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Then you'll be saved. And so this prayer is the acknowledgement that of those things. And so pray, those of you who raised your hand, pray something like this with me. Dear Lord Jesus. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I've heard about you. I've known about you. But today I ask you to be my Lord. To come into my boat. I thank you for forgiving my sins. I thank you that by receiving your sacrifice for my sins, that I will spend eternity with you in heaven.
I don't understand, but I commit my life to you. Teach me. Show me yourself. Walk with me and be my Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.